Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking to Tony Arena, who is the Managing Director of BCI Business Brokers, which is a business broking company that is based in Crow's Nest in Sydney. Tony has more than 30 years of experience in the business and has personally sold or supervised the sale of over a thousand businesses. And so is the perfect person to talk to us today about having seen the uh, ropes many times about what can go wrong for uh, business brokers, business agents, um, and for buyers and sellers in this market of business sales and acquisitions. And in this episode today, Tony gives some great case studies of things that he has seen happen over the years and gives some really top advice for brokers and owners and buyers uh, as well themselves in relation to what they can do to protect themselves in this area of business sales and acquisitions. So without any further ado, let's go speak to Tony. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today on the Deal Room Podcast. Oh, Joanna, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting. Fabulous. Oh, look, I'm really excited to have you along uh, because I, I was really interested in running through some actual case studies of examples of where where there's real and practical risk uh, for brokers um, and uh, I, I guess advisors just generally in this space dealing in the business sale and acquisition area. Uh, we talk um, every now and again about cases, but it's really good uh, to, to hear on the ground examples of the sorts of things that people in the industry need to be looking out for. So I'm really excited to delve into this topic with you today. Um, maybe if we get started, maybe you can give us a bit of a background of um, who you are and what BCI Business Brokers does, just to give us a bit of context as we get started. Sure. So I, uh, I started out in life as, uh, as a lawyer like you. <laughs> I recall that now. A lawyer. There you go. Uh-huh. But they say once a lawyer, always a lawyer. So uh, I, I, did, I did mainly criminal law in my time, uh, and that was a very uh, instructive and it was a good grounding in law and, and business because many of the things that I, I had to do then, uh, you're still doing today. You still have to be careful. You still have to understand the law. No matter what profession you are in, you need to understand the law. Mm. So I, I did uh, criminal law for probably about seven or eight years, and I couldn't see myself continuing to be a barrister for the rest of my life. So I, my father happened to be a business broker. And I said, hey, Dad, why don't I join you and um, we'll do this together, which is what I did back in 87. I've done just about everything, I think, in business broking. I've had a team of seven people. I've was involved in the Real Estate Institute in the early days. I was chairman of the Business Brokers chapter for six years. I'm a fellow of the Australian Institute of Business Brokers. I've uh, added to my business broking CV with some training. I've been to America to speak at the IBBA on how to get uh, vendors to pay for advertising in uh, business broking. Mm. 
and I also did that training in real estate. Um, so, so uh, business development, business valuation, business broking is is where my basically core expertise lies. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. So, so I guess uh, as as you say, you've uh, you've got a bit of history in the industry. So, I guess it makes sense that you're a good person to uh, turn to in terms of um, asking where the risks are from your perspective, and and you know to walk us through some of these examples of where things can go wrong. Yeah. So I've I've only been I've been sued once as a business broker. And I can tell you the walk that uh, took me from uh, where the summons was served on me by the plaintiff personally in my office down here in Crow's Nest. And I thought, hmm. So I sold this business for $250,000 and this summons asks for $750,000. How does that work? Mm. I only sold it. I only sold it to him for $250,000. And my next thought was, okay, I wonder if that insurance policy that I had whether I actually renewed it. Oh, 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 no, that must have been a moment of sheer terror. The, uh, I can remember the day, the moment, the, what the weather was. So the walk to the filing cabinet to pick up the policy and see what date was on it. It was good news. I was covered. Oh, goodness. And instructed my insurance company at the time to defend the matter. I can tell you, Joanna, that in those days, PI wasn't compulsory like it is today for business mm. brokers. Mm. And it's good that it is compulsory today. Anyway, mm. um, the, the long story short out of that case was so a barrister had bought his uh, wife a chicken shop, mm. very considerate of him, and <laughs> it went downhill right from the start and he sued the vendor for misrepresentation mm. of revenue, profit, and all the rest of it. Mm. And he joined the broker, us, on the basis that, you know, we might have been liable as well. He might have been able to get money out of us if he didn't get it out of the vendor. As it happened, I wasn't the broker involved there. It was a young fellow that I had with me, and I firmly believe to this day that whilst there was probably always going to be uh, a case against me, it was probably the fact that the the buyer and that broker probably didn't get on that well. Mm. You know, I think that's why it's important to keep up good relations. Let's keep on saying that right throughout this podcast. Mm. So that's a really interesting point. Like, let's labour that point then. Um, that you, you feel that it wasn't just issues that occurred. You, you know, because I mean. Um, We've all heard of many, many cases of buyers buying a business and are not turning out the way they expected. Um, so you're saying, you know, part of this element is also the um, the connection that you have with the parties. So if, if the buyer doesn't like you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's doing the right thing firstly. Let, let's, let's be clear. The law will win in the end. If you've made a misrepresentation or you've been negligent, you're outright, outright lying as a broker. There's every chance it's going to come to grief if the business is big enough so that there's enough in it for the plaintiff to sue. Mm. Uh, however, uh, yes, if, if there's a good relationship, there's a chance that uh, the buyer might not instruct his lawyer to, to sue you. Mm. But usually, uh, I must say, it, it'll mostly come down to the legal issues involved. Mm, mm. But there's a good reason anyway to have good relations with people because uh, not just staying out of court it's good well, it's do good. it anyway yeah 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 there's no downside right no downside <laughs> well let's I, I want to walk through that one a little bit more and, and and I feel on your behalf that you're probably a little bit unlucky that um that the buyer in this case was a barrister of course there's uh, far less barrier 
to entry in uh, in litigation for a barrister who yep. uh, you know doesn't have to pay for legal fees in in that sense. So I, I guess already think already you, you're dealing in a um, you know a, a situation obviously where if issues arose it was far easier in that um, in that case for the barrister to have access to just sue than, than it would for the normal person on the street but maybe if we can work through um, what the what the legal points were like what were the issues what were the claims that were being made it was straight out misrepresentation so the buyer right. said look everything everything you told me there was wrong was rubbish you made it up it was all uh, and the, the defendant, the vendor, had nowhere to go because he had given me his figures and I had reproduced those figures. And then the vendor denied that he gave me those figures, but they introduced forensic evidence to show that that document of the figures came out of his typewriter. The plaintiff was able to take it back to the actual typewriter that typed those figures. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, you know, incredible. Are we talking about typewriters? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same typewriter that was used in producing the stock list, which he didn't deny. Mm. So the vendor had, had nowhere to go. Mm. Uh, as far as, so he won against the vendor. <laughs> the short story is he won against the vendor, lost against us. And I was seven days in the federal court listening to that. I just wanted to know what it was like to be involved in a federal court misrepresentation matter. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the solicitors on both sides are turning around to me and saying, we still don't know which way this case is going to go. Wow. But the fact that I had uh, the buyer sign a disclaimer, sign personally a disclaimer saying that I've been told by the business agent to make my own inquiries. Mm. And the business agent does not know. I mean, I have a form of the disclaimer, but the business agent has not verified the figures and doesn't know whether they're accurate or not. Mm. That's the disclaimer that I've reproduced today in all of our documentation as far as what's given to buyers. And was that a disclaimer that you always used? Um, always prior used. To that, but prior to that point, or, or was there something in that matter that had made you come up with that? disclaimer at some point in your dealings with the um, buyer or the vendor? No, it was the one that we were using. I must admit, having spoken to the lawyers afterwards, I did improve it Mm. because they suggested to me that I put a few extra clauses in. But we had the disclaimer on every page of our profile. Mm, mm, Clever. Yeah, yeah. Great. And so it was the disclaimer at the end of the day that saved you. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, right. And you and I know that disclaimers aren't enough. If you've done the wrong thing, if you told mm. lies, disclaimer aren't going to help you. And if you misrepresented. But the, the key to that case uh, was whether the buyer had relied on what I said. Mm. And my disclaimer told him not to rely. Mm. And so were there other elements as well? So did were there other things that you had done um, during uh, the period of the interaction between the buyer and the vendor that um, you reflected on as um, having, in hindsight, been very useful um, to the case or, or vice versa? A disclaimer that the fact that it was signed and the judge made comment on that in his, in his judgment, the fact that we had gone to every length to... Uh, suggest to the buyer that he do his own inquiries, that he not rely on what we're selling, what we're telling him, uh, that we're passing it on from the vendor for what it's worth, the old conduit. We are just a conduit between the seller and buyer. Mm. And that's not going to save you if, you, if you're saying something that's just outrageous. If, if mm. you know that the GP margin on the sale of a particular business 
should be 50% and it's, it's showing at 90%, you know mm. through your experience that that's just not right. So you can't just hand that on and rely on the conduit defence. You've got to bring your common sense to bear. Mm. And judges will look behind that as well and say, well, who are we talking about here? We're talking about an experienced business broker. He wouldn't talk about a GP of that percentage and not know it was wrong. Mm. Fascinating. And then, um, and I think also in our discussions, you had said then subsequent to that, many years later, in the more recent history, you then had a second um, brush or, or your your um, your broking firm had a second brush. So again, one of my brokers was selling a particular business and had introduced it to a buyer and the buyer wanted to pay. And I think that agreed on a price of about 200000 And my broker came to me and said, look, the buyers found out that the figures just aren't right. So the vendor put his hand up and admitted that the figures weren't right. We were telephoning the buyer to say, look, the business is off the market because we can't rely on these figures. Mm. The buyer said to us, I still may want to buy it. I might be able to get it cheaper. Mm. We said, you can do that if you want, but I'm going to send you a letter to sign to say that you acknowledge we've told you that you can't rely on the figures, but you want to go ahead anyway. Mm. That was signed. The next we hear, the business failed and the buyer sued the vendor, but not us. Mm. So that is a simple, a simple key. If something happens which would suggest there is a misrepresentation or it could have been uh, willful or not, and you find out about that, you must immediately protect yourself. And if you like the buyer, because you're telling the buyer something that could save him losing all this money by putting it into the business and, and and get that executed by the buyer. So it's not just good enough to acknowledge it via return email or get it over the phone, send a document over and say, if you're going to go ahead with this business sale, I want you to acknowledge that we've told you you can't rely on these figures. Mm. That's a, I mean, that's a really clever step. And I can see in that instance that, uh, you know, particularly if someone was suing the vendor, certainly it, um, you, you know, they potentially had uh, the broker, you, in their sights as well and clearly made the decision that they were going to get nowhere with it, uh, you know. And, and that's the position that you want to be in though, isn't it? Because you can't guarantee, uh, you, you, you of course can't guarantee that information that's being provided to you at any point by a vendor is correct. So I guess the point that we're making in this podcast today is that you need to be doing everything that you can to ensure that you you are not being seen to be verifying or um, you you know you know providing the figures yourself that it's clear that it's information that's coming from the vendor and that you're doing things to make sure that you have adequately protected your risk and and I just love this extra step that you went to in this uh, more recent case where you uh, had a letter and you required the buyer to actually acknowledge that. I mean, that's that's really clever. And, and I guess probably because you perhaps are risk, particularly risk averse, uh, having seen where things can go wrong over time. Is that right? I'm risk averse, but I'm also trained as a lawyer so that my, my ears are immediately prick up when I see a potential issue. Yeah. And my risk management hat goes on and I say, okay, who could say that I haven't done everything possible to ensure that we're acting fairly between the buyer and seller? What's more, Joanna, who wants to see someone buy a business and lose their house? That, the fellow yeah. that lost that case really um, 
you know, it won't recover from that loss potentially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I guess it just um, it just adds the gravity uh, to gravity to the position that um, both you as brokers hold, us as lawyers hold, you know, um, and, and all other advisors in the, the space, accountants. You know, these are these are big issues quite often, aren't they? You know, we we're dealing with people's lives here. Yeah, sure, and. Also, uh, uh, you know, someone's mental health is, is is at stake as well, quite apart from your own. I mean, we're under a lot of pressure. Uh, lawyers are under a lot of pressure. And the only way to uh, alleviate that pressure is to just keep asking yourself whether you're, whether you're doing the right thing or not. Yeah. And the right thing by all parties. Yeah. And then, you know, um, I, I really, uh, I, I like the approach that you have here, obviously, the, the concern that you have. Uh, you know, for your buyers as well, because perhaps not necessarily everyone in the industry feels that they um, need to have concern for both sides of the fence. Uh, so, uh, and and you know, surely that plays itself out as a um, a positive in many other ways in your interactions with your um, with your vendors and and your buyers throughout. Your, um, yeah. your history of business. Just a note of caution. I just want to remind you, or I just want to tell you about something that happened in the first case that we discussed. Mm. The plaintiff, I had on my website where I was uh, expressing that I wanted buyers to be dealt with fairly the way we're talking about here and, you know, showing buyers certain things they could do to reduce their risk in, in a transaction and in buying a business. That plaintiff sued me personally for a claim that I was putting myself out there as having a duty of care to the buyer and that I breached that duty of care. Really? Yeah. Jeez. Wow. So that was the first case with the barrister, the chicken shop. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I had to navigate that. I mean, he he took everything out. He went to town, I tell you, every single single possibility of of getting some money out of me or the the vendor. (laughs) So every possible suit, personally, the company, everything, trying to look behind the corporate veil, whatever he could. Mm. But that was one of his claims that, that he claimed that by virtue of me trying to help buyers that I was actually an agent for him and that I'd let him down. Wow. Okay. Well, that is that is taking way too far. And do you recall what the court said about that? Did, did they comment dismissed on it. that? Just dismiss that. Just oh, dismiss okay. It. So they didn't respond to that uh, element in, in any depth. Yeah. Okay. I just want to, while we're on this point, so I think you've got different grades of a broker doing the wrong thing. You've got out and out lying, which some brokers do. I'm sure that bro- brokers get together with vendors and cook up stories and, and mm. they just want to make a commission or get the business sold. And you've got uh, misrepresentation, which is probably uh, where you've just been careless about what you've said. Mm. So if the vendor says something like, there are my figures, and the, bro- and the broker says, look, here are the vendor's figures – you know, they look pretty good to me. Or he's a he's a genuine bloke. He's an honest bloke. I actually believe him. You're in trouble already. Mm. And any overlay that you put on top of that, that's where the broker has to be careful. Just remember, conduit. You're only the pipeline. You don't touch it. You don't adulterate it. You don't play with it on the way through from the vendor to the buyer. You just hand it on for what it's worth. And that'll keep most brokers out of trouble. My profile, I can remember now the judge's words. He looked at he looked at things I said like you know this is one of the best shops in the centre and things like that. But he distinguished between misrepresentation and fluff, mm. mere fluff. Mm. So 
a broker's allowed to present his client. He's allowed to be colourful in his language, I suppose, but he's not allowed to mislead. And after that case, did did that impact then the, um, you know, uh, the sales, the pitch uh, with which you wrote your IMs or, uh, you, you know, any of the information about? Absolutely right. Right. Okay. Yeah. If I wasn't careful leading up to that case, every single IM I write now, every single ad that I write, I'll I'll rewrite and cut out things I can't substantiate. And uh, look, it's not just financial figures. I can remember another case. It was a um, was a cafe takeaway in the city, and this particular vendor had produced accountants' figures, but they were wrong. He had two businesses, so he was shoveling money from one business into another. So the money went in to his account, and his accountant reproduced it. But it was obviously a, a stunt or it was obviously a misrepresentation. So you can't even necessarily rely on accountants' figures. I mean, you can put forward accountants' figures for what they're worth and hand them on for what they're worth. But even with accountants' figures, they can be dodgy. Mm. And it's fascinating because um, we we get calls every now and again from, uh, well, we get all sorts of inquiries in relation to business sales and acquisitions, but we certainly do get inquiries from um, disgruntled buyers who are looking for anywhere that they can to, um, uh, you know, to make good losses that they feel that they've suffered um, due to the purchase of a business where it's just not gone the way that they've expected. And, you know, we, we don't take on those sorts of matters, but it's just really interesting hearing um, the range of stories. Uh, and, you know, generally it's always just simply that the business doesn't perform to the level that had been represented. So so the argument is that there had been misrepresentation in relation to the figures that had been provided to them. But they specifically say to us, how can we go after the vendor? How can we go after the broker? Is there anyone else we can go after? You know, this is the line of questioning that um, that they go through. Um, and I think the luckily, you know, when we analyse the, um, you know, the landscape for litigation against brokers, there doesn't seem to be a massive amount um, sitting there. Obviously, I, I think a lot of brokers uh, use approaches like you do using disclaimers, but it's um, absolutely a risk that every broker should be aware of, I think. And and I, I think that's what we're trying to drive into here with some of the examples that you're giving us so people can actually see where it could happen. Yeah. So the other thing is um, when I spent seven days in the federal court listening to the evidence and listening to the submissions and listening to the judgment, Put on top of that the days and days and days of writing statements and barristers' meetings. You know, that was a month out of my life easily. Yeah. And the stress, the yeah. stress. So we're insured, but these days the what you pay on top, the um, your um, excess that you might pay, it could be $10,000. Mm. So you've got to come up with the $10,000 and usually at the beginning of the proceedings to help fund the proceedings, whatever your excess is. I mean that's a cost to your business, mm. and you're distracted, and that that could that could knock you off your bike for three months. 
Mm. And it's a stressful process. You, you're absolutely right on. Litigation can be extremely uh, stressful and emotional uh, and not to mention an absolute distraction from your day-to-day business because it's not just, um, you know, and, and most cases don't even make it to court. So it's interesting that this one did because most cases are settled along the way because people don't want the pain of uh, having to, um, you, you know, rock up into court. But it's not just that. It's also the, you know, the discovery element. Uh, you, you know, you, you have to provide all sorts of documentation to support your case. <laughs> there's, there's a whole long process to it, right? Well, that's the other thing. Keep good notes. So these days we've got computers who are tapping notes into our databases. You've got to keep those notes. Everyone keeps their emails. You have to keep those emails. You have to back up all your records. Uh, just like you had to you know, be careful of your paper records, uh, even more so today, you, you'll be subpoenaed and you'll have to go through every single email that went between yourself, buyer and seller. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. And that sounds painful. I bet it was. Was it painful? Do you still remember it? <laughs> Look, the whole exercise was joy and terror. It was great to win. <laughs> I, learned, I, I learned a lot. And it taught me a lot for the future, but you don't want to go through that one again. I'll I'll pass on that one. Thanks. Good work. Well, look, it sounds like we've got a few, um, we've come up with, or you've come up with some really good uh, pointers for for everyone who's listening uh, about the sorts of things that they can do to protect themselves. So you talked about the important, in your instance, of having used a disclaimer. So I, I think that's a really good one to note. Be careful about what you're writing on your website, uh, you know, that it's not interpreted as that you have some sort of duty to the buyer, ra- you know, rather than the seller. Keep great notes. I thought that was a really good one. And remember your conduit. I like that one. So remember you're just passing uh, on the information. And and I guess uh, implicit in everything that you have said is to act ethically, though. You know, you, you didn't say that, but Clearly, I can hear coming through in in what you're talking about here was you had done the right thing. And even though you'd done the right thing, you ended up in in this situation. Um, But, you you know, if you had have been part of some orchestrated uh, situation, you probably would have gone down in that instance, right? So I guess it's about that. We would have gone down in both instances. If there was any suggestion, if we hadn't put that letter on, that lawyer for the plaintiff in the second case might have had a crack at us mm, mm. because not everything you do subsequently can overcome a flaw in your presentation early on. For example, if you advertise something that makes $2,000 a week and the evidence later comes out or it's found to be false, that earlier representation, I think there's some case law to this effect, can still mean you go down even though you've tried to rectify the problem. Mm. Because that first representation got the buyer interested. And even though they learned later, it was that representation that got them on the line to buy that business. Mm. So you can, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. You know, Joanna, when you're in court, anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. And that is absolutely the truth. And you say that, and and obviously you have talked about your legal background, but I think perhaps people who are listening to this perhaps don't fully understand that that is absolutely the case. Even a waterproof case, (laughs) you know, in in court can go the other way, right? There's there's absolutely no guarantees once you're in litigation. Yeah. And there was an attempt to settle the case first up, uh, the first case that we had with the barrister buying the uh, chicken shop. And our counsel, so our lawyers just said, no, we, we can win this case. We've, mm. we've, uh, we're watertight. As he walked out of my office with the summons having just been served on me, I said, I don't know, but I've done nothing wrong here. Yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah. the barrister. So I yeah. figured that we'd, we'd acted all the way through. And, you know, I think the, the other thing, uh, Joanna, that uh, I want to say is you, you get a choice to avoid a lot of this problem by asking yourself right at the outset, who do you want to work with in this business? Do you want? And, and I suppose I've been around a while, so I might have a little bit of an edge on experience. But I can I can sense meeting someone for the first time whether I really want to deal with them. Mm. It looks like there's anything that I don't like. The body language I've heard it before. I've heard it all before. I might be a bit judgmental here, but I want to work with the people that I can trust mm. and give myself the luxury of working with people that I like. Mm, I love it. So client selection is, uh, you you know, an important key there, work with people that you trust. And then you like as well. That's a nice overlay. I like that. Yeah. And and if we we often get the situation where we have two buyers to choose from. We're representing a vendor. We've got two buyers. I've often said to a a vendor, let's not choose the one necessarily that uh, is going to give you the most money, Mm. but... Let's choose the one that we think we can work with best in the Mm. transition period Mm. and who is maybe going to succeed. Because as you said before, everything's done properly. The person buys the business. They're hopeless. They don't know what they're doing. It fails. And they go, oh, the vendor must have lied to me about the figures. Mm. Absolutely. And they'll find a lawyer that will go on contingency. Yeah. So I'll give this a crack. I won't charge you anything and I'll just take 30% of what we get or whatever. And there's evidence of that in the franchising game. That That's that's happening all the time. Mm, and they'll go digging. Yeah. You're now in court. You're in yeah. court. I think that's such a good point. That that is such a good point. Um, and you, you know, when when I look at um, stories of deals that have had issues that have occurred, so so many times it has come down to where there were flags right in the beginning you know they just weren't the right there were flags about them not being the right kind of buyer or the right kind of person to run the business and of course you know I can hear some people saying in the background well that's not our job to work out whether someone can run a business and 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 I I guess to to some degree that's true, but there's there can be warning signals that you really just need to be on the lookout for. I guess red flags, uh, because there's only a matter of time that um, that you you stick in this game where the red flags don't turn into a problem. I guess right. Yeah, well, you and I were present at, at that uh, session, the ethics session down at the uh, international or the, the business brokers conference. You know, if something's quite obvious to you, due to your experience, and, and a broker just out of broker school is not going to pick this up necessarily, but if you can see something happening mm. across the table from you, it's going to mean a disaster for that person. You just tap them on the shoulder and say, "This is not right for you." And that mm. vendor doesn't want to see someone uh, being led to the slaughter like that. Mm. And I guess this is a benefit for um, you know vendors as well. Uh, so. 
owners who might be listening into this podcast, you know, the benefit of using teams of advisors who have experience and um, and and know what they're talking about, um, you know, and and have seen the ropes uh, for for a while, and um, you know, certainly one of the um, uh, one of the things that we do with many brokers that we work with is is act as a bit of a sounding board because I, ca- I guess it can be difficult for people who are new to the industry and haven't seen some of these things play out before you, you know it's it's important to have that network around them of people who can give them uh, pointers as to red flags and what to look out for and and I guess on um, you know on on the side of vendors uh, once again it, it sort of um, reiterates the benefits of having a team around you who are uh, used to dealing in this area and can help point out red flags uh, as as they appear rather than it be something that crops up later on down the, the track that becomes a surprise. Yeah, so plenty of brokers pick up the phone and just ask me, you know, it might be to do with the agency agreement, it might be to just dispute with another agent over who sold the business, it might be on entitlement to commission, all sorts of problems, you know, someone pulling out of the deal at the last minute. I mean, my agency agreement is one of the toughest in town, so I keep changing a clause Every time there's a problem. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> I pull it out and I just put a clause in. Yeah. <laughs> Was that the evolution of 30 years? Is is that right, this, uh, this agency <laughs> agreement? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, so <laughs> Tony, I, I guess, do you have any parting words to um, our audience uh, on this topic today? Look, I my early career was uh, criminal law. And people used to say to me, how do you defend someone you know is guilty? That's the question I've got all the time. I can't tell you, if I had a dollar for every time I was asked that question, you know, (laughs) I'd have a lot of dollars. But no one knows. No one knows what's going on. But if you, you and I as lawyers have had ethical obligations to the court, we swear our obligations to the court to be, to be fair and, and, and even if someone tells you they're guilty, you've still got to represent them. So I don't try and overjudge the, the situation. Mm. But right at the last minute, you just got to ask yourself, you know, is this fair income? Is this the sort of deal you want to be involved in? Protect yourself all the way. The disclaimer up front is is huge because even if you, no matter what happens, the disclaimer could save you. But all the way through, have your disclaimers. When you have confidentiality agreements signed, I always get disclaimers put in there as well. I have my own confidentiality agreement, which contains a disclaimer. So right from the start, it's buyer beware. And uh, hopefully at the same time, you can represent your seller to the highest advantage. Absolutely love it. And Tony, before we go, maybe if you can tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you. Okay. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with uh, business people on LinkedIn or professionals. Website, bcibusinessbrokers.com.au. We also have a valuation side to our business, which is valueabusiness.com.au. Brilliant. Okay. Wonderful. And look, I I recall seeing a lot of your information uh, about on LinkedIn. You're quite a content producer. Is that correct? Am, am I right? Oh, not as much as I'd like to. I wish I wish I had secretaries all over the place like you do, Joe. I, <laughs> I could produce so much more. <laughs> well, um, but if people link into you, I, I think they'll they'll probably find that they get some great information for, from you as well. Um, yeah, there's a blog on the site, uh, bcibusinessbrokers.com.au, and there's tips for selling, valuing, getting your business ready for sale. There's a free 20-point audit 
where someone can go on and fill out, uh, answer 20 questions, and I'll call them back and tell them how prepared they are for sale. All of that's free. There's an ebook there on how to maximize the value of your business. Yeah, there's a bit there. Fabulous. Okay. All right. That's a suggestion to you out there in the audience to go and uh, link in, connect, and find this treasure trove of information. Wonderful, Tony. This has been such a good discussion. I just want to say a massive thank you to you for um, coming on to the Deal Room podcast today to talk about your wealth of experience. Pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room podcast. Just as a quick recap, in this episode, we, of course, have talked all about the risks that are out there for business brokers um, and advisors in this area of business acquisitions and sales, and a heap of really great tips. Many of the cases that we talked about related to very small businesses, but the tips that Tony talked about really are as applicable to um, any transaction, no matter what the size is. So the importance of keeping great notes, of using really strong disclaimers, remembering your position as a conduit of information between the seller and the buyer, and being very careful about what you're saying in your IMs and in your marketing, being ethical, and finally, being very careful with client selection and also buyer selection. Really good points here. I thought it was an excellent discussion and I hope you did too. So if you want to find details of how you can contact Tony and you didn't have a pen as uh, you were listening to this podcast because you were running along the beach or driving along in the car or on your commute, then don't fear. You can just go to the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com. There you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition and also to help them guide through the sale and acquisition process once it's on foot. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you want to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it for today. If you enjoyed what you heard today, then I would absolutely love it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and um, leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to tune in to us next week. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Rokey and the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants, and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organizations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. 
So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 